story has two sides. Well, that's especially true today, and it extends to B2B marketing and what we're calling the event conspiracy. Now that COVID-19 has, um, you know, really reared its ugly head, it destroyed the uh, online, the, excuse me, the in-person event business. Uh, the sponsors, the trade shows, the networking, uh, the customer councils, they're all gone for now. Now, um, every because every side of a story has every, because every story has more than uh, one side. Um, I've invited uh, two great friends of mine to discuss the sides of this event conspiracy. First is Chris Powell. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Steve. Chris okay. is the uh, CMO of Commvault, and I'm also joined by Bill Wall. Hi, Bill. Hi, Steve and Chris. <laughs> Bill else. is Bill leads Wall uh, Wall Communications. The Wall Communications is an organization that's dedicated to helping organizations of all size with their uh, branding and communications needs. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's get right into it. This event conspiracy is is an in interesting notion, and it's interesting because. Um, it could last for a long time. So my, my question to you is, can we actually replace the value of in-person meetings, in-person engagement with virtual? And Chris, I thought maybe we'd get your perspective first. Well, I think the, um, it's really what we have to look at first is what's the purpose of all the things that we're doing in marketing. The purpose of events is to really engage uh, people. And as I was uh, thinking about this topic, it really ends up being a case of what are we trying to achieve both formally and informally? And I think what we've learned over the last six months is the formal side we can maybe uh, get some places with, but the informal side, uh, not so much. So maybe on the formal side, it's a B on a, a scale of you know ABC rating in school. And then I think we're probably getting an F right now as it relates to the informal sides. And it's starting to open up questions that I don't think we've really talked about more formally. We spend so many time, so much time on the very uh, specific aspects of events that we almost treat the informal things, the having a coffee in the morning, breakfast, lunches, having a cocktail uh, conversation as secondary. And I'm beginning to wonder if those things were even more important than we realized. Mm. I, think I, I think that's an excellent point, Chris. And I, I have to say, Steve, I, I've known Chris for a long time. And he does not suffer from the Al Gore problem. You know, Al Gore claims to have invented the internet. We all know that that's not true. But I actually think that Chris Powell coined the term the event conspiracy. And it was the, it was the right term, and it is still the right term today. We all feel this tremendous gravitational pull to do events, in-person events, and all the expenses associated with them. Mm -hmm. uh, even when we can make the business case that maybe it's not, you know, we just don't want to um, be a victim of fear of missing out. But Chris has made a valid point. I, I saw an article uh, just this month in CEO Magazine, and it was talking about the topic of in-person, conducting in-person business post-pandemic. When will that return? And one of the things that stood out for me in that magazine, and I'll quote what a CEO said, uh, he said, there's a massive deficit in the incidental and accidental relationships mm -hmm. that are formed at industry conference dinners, trade fairs, in-flight lounges, even in the hotel lobby bar. Um, and that's why I passionately believe at some point, post-pandemic, post-vaccine, we're going to see a return to in-person business because I think intuitively, all of us, with perhaps the exception of chief financial officers, 
understand the value of these incidental and accidental relationships. Part of the reason we come together as humans. The question will ultimately, I think a lot of your viewers may be thinking about is, has Zoom and team meetings ultimately replaced business travel and in-person meetings? And I'm gonna have a view that says, look, for the next 18 to 24 months, I think we could probably all agree that's true. Um, but very quickly, at least in my perspective, very quickly, that's all going to return. Yeah, but what is driving it? I mean, yes, there's value to each business by having these in-person engagements, but there's also, to this notion of event conspiracy, there's a massive ecosystem around events. Massive revenues are being generated. So the question is, what's really going to drive, if at all, this return to in-person events? It seems to me that... Um, the ecosystem could be pulling the uh, in-person events um, forward earlier than we're ready to? Or is it the in-person events themselves that are going to be driving uh, this return to quote unquote normal? Well, the, uh, I, I think Steve, you know, the interesting thing with the events is that they require people, right? So we can, we can have folks that maybe want to bring back events and they may just have trouble um, finding people who are willing to do it. Uh, the airline industry is probably a perfect uh, example of, you can fly a lot of places right now, but there's not a lot of people that are interested in doing it. And you know, the, the event conspiracy, the, the whole concept of it is just as you guys articulated, it's there, there's this event industrial complex uh, and all of the things that are surrounding it are critical uh, to the industries that are that it's built around, whether that's the hospitality industry and all the things that surround it, or even just the event industry specifically. And what we've been seeing recently is a lot of that is they're still trying to lurch forward, right? It's a lot of the financial models uh, that are funding these virtual events are the same financial models that were funding the physical events. Yeah. But what we're not finding is that, and, and Bill's example of the uh, article is perfect. It's we're man they're falling over they're not they're not good experiences that it's a lot of physical events that have been moved online yeah some some are doing better than others but it is not working uh yet uh not surprisingly but it's not working yeah we're sort of limping through because we have to and i think at some level we all understand intuitively that the danger of physical contact associated with the pandemic will eventually move into the rearview mirror. Uh, whether that happens in 12 months or 18 months, I don't even know who to believe anymore. Once the danger is passed, then the question will ultimately become for all of us marketers, uh, when will we start to see people want to get back on airplanes and meet in person? Yeah. Uh, I suspect that probably where that will start is in business selling. I think ultimately in the enterprise, where people get on planes to close multi-million dollar deals. As that starts to happen and people get comfortable with in-person visiting, then we're gonna to start to see the gravitational pull for people to join together in groups come as a natural follow-on to that. Where I think we'll struggle as marketers, um, particularly for with those people who control our budgets, is trying to claw back um, the cost of business travel and events from chief financial officers who have you've got this wonderful bonus that was handed to them, which is an enormous drop in business expense that has come as the result of the pandemic. Um, and, and we all know that 
you know, what happens in the, in the budget cycle in the corporate world is once 5% disappears, there's no return back to that 5% without a huge fight. Uh, the cost yeah. of events is a pretty considerable component of everyone's budget. I'm sure it is of Chris's. And getting permission to spend those dollars, even to get those dollars back to spend, will be a fight. And it's going to take uh, some time. That said, there's a lot of research uh, I, I did before we decided to, to get on this podcast. Uh, most of the research tells that for every dollar of business travel expense, um, successful people return $12.50 in revenue. So if you believe that, and, and I do, it's inevitable that we'll get back to that at some point. The question is, how long and how much will Zoom and Teams hold on to a percentage? Is it 25% or 30%? of these in-person meetings. I think, I think probably we can all agree that we won't go to 100% of where we were anytime soon. The question of how much is the holdback. Yeah, I, I'm gonna push back in two regards. As a, as a CMO, I've never been uh, a big fan of events. Uh, I think that you know the trade show industry um, is is not a great place to, to generate or close business. I think the, the, the opportunity cost isn't, isn't there. Um, and it's interesting because there's a typically a drive from a sales perspective. We got to be there. We have to be seen. And yeah, I think there's some of that. But is that really true? Like, why not put our monies into proprietary events rather than these uh, in-person events? The second thing that I would say is um, I have seen million dollar deals close in this virtual environment. So I, I, I'm not quite sure it's, it's, a, it's a necessity. I do think that smooth transitions between um, prospect to client to implementation um, is definitely facilitated by that in-person engagement. I'm just not sure we need it in order to move forward. You know, I think Steve, you're spot on in that it's the, it, it, it still gets back to the, what are, when a sales uh, organization is saying, we have to be there, we have to be seen. I think if you if you bifurcate the situation of formal and informal side of those physical events, it's that informal side that they're that they're looking for us to facilitate, right? It's, and what you're articulating is it's an extremely expensive way to arrange for a meeting because there's no other way for you to end up having a chance encounter, a cup of coffee, it's like so. When I would talk to the uh, sales leaders, they would often say that the value of the event is not the content even it's not the um all of the demos that you spend so much time preparing all of that work that you put into it yeah the value of the event is i've got 20 people all in the same place that i could never speak to within 24 hours and i can do it all there so it's i think we've almost exposed what the true value of those events were versus what all the theater was that was around those events, right? Yeah, but all, I, all I'm, not, I'm not so sure, Chris. I, I mean, I want to give Steve what he was looking for here is with a, a point counterpoint. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bat the ball back over the net at you. By the way, we should have a conversation on the side about Steve Mann's role as a moderator here. I thought the moderator was supposed to ask the questions, not offer a point of view. But yeah, well, I'm a non, I'm a non-traditional moderator, yeah, this, so forget this that. We know, this we know, Steve. So Chris, in your industry, in the tech space in particular, let's talk about a second conspiracy that we know that exists, which is the experience of the conspiracy of the industry analyst. And the, the challenge that we face with industry analysts in the tech space is that the concept of momentum and visibility is one of those factors that they use to tell their customers, who, by the way, Chris, are your customers and prospects, 
about the momentum of a company. And so part of the event conspiracy, as we call it, is this factor of not being present and the penalty that potentially exists from a reputational perspective about not being seen in places where on the one hand as a CMO, you're saying I'm absolutely in the virtual machines business, but at the largest virtual machines event of the year, you don't want to spend a half a million dollars to be in that room, which gives your competitors and the industry analysts the opportunity to say, hmm, what's going on at Combo? They didn't show up. Are they still committed to the virtual machines business? Now we can all argue effectively, that's a bullshit perspective. But yeah, that argument's been made is, for years, right? But it, but it is the reality as someone who spent a lot of time talking to industry analysts, these events wind up being places where you make announcements, you have influencer conversations, you are seen in a side-by-side -side, uh, basis against competitors that you arguably claim are your peers, but might be much larger. And so everyone is trying to say, my grass is greener than the guys next to me. And can I put an economic value on it? No. But is the risk associated and, and the cost associated with getting the label of where were they uh, worth the two or $300,000? And I would argue, if you're going after that Gartner Magic Quadrant position, that box called momentum is so important. So it's not just those sales conversations and not just those demo pods, it is the entire circle of activities that go around um, from a press, influencer, stakeholder relationship thing that are very, very hard to replace if you choose not to buy into the conspiracy. I don't like it any more than you do, but I have this belief that it goes beyond just simple sales conversations. No, but, but Chris, a question for you then, do you think that this notion of moment, and it's a very good point, Bill, this notion of momentum can partially be fulfilled in a virtual environment? I mean, because we need well, momentum right now, even though there's not in-person uh, engagement. That, that's right. So, I mean, the, the, the challenge is where we are right now and where we may very well be for at least the next 12 months. And in reality of, of where do physical events fit into your tactical mix, they don't fit anywhere. So you kind of have to figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, the other thing that I've learned very, uh, we've all learned in the last six months is the market doesn't care. Like they don't care about excuses about how you haven't been able to reach out, have you? So, so I think Bill brings up an important point that it is, that is the places where the analysts and the press would meet up with people for the same reasons, right? They were, everybody was all gathered. Now those places don't exist. So they have to figure out a way to do their job differently as well. The analysts have to figure out different ways to engage because one of the key tools that they have has been taken away. The question is for all of this at the end of it, when we put these things back and we're two, three years down the road, what actually comes back? Because I can tell you what I don't need to do is I don't need to sit in a, in a booth in order to see a demo of a product. I can absolutely see that online. And I don't, I don't know why I'm flying across the country to see a demo in a booth because I can do that right here, right? But what I can't do is have a cup of coffee with somebody and have a real conversation. So, you know, it gets to the, I don't know exactly what events will look like as we move forward, uh, but there's a lot less need for the formal side and this recognition of the informal. And I don't, I, I don't pretend to say that we're all going to have vacations for events now because nobody cares about the formal side, but I think it's created a real challenge in this, 
the conspiracy used to be about the amount of money and resources around it. Now I think the conspiracy of events has almost evolved to what's the whole point? What's the purpose that you can't do online versus what you can do, um, what, what you must do in person? And, and that, may be, uh, that may be a challenge because the people we're trying to convince are just never going to get it. Uh, I, I hate to pick on CFOs in this conversation, but it makes Chris smile because I know uh, the, the challenge that he faces there. Um, you know, I think back to when Chris and I worked together, Steve, all three of us worked together at SAP and it, gosh, we spent a million dollars to bring Aerosmith and put him in a room uh, mm-hmm. to entertain our customers at Sapphire. And you could argue that maybe that isn't necessary, but the reality is you don't become a leading brand unless you act and spend and position yourself as a leader. But set aside Aerosmith for a moment and think about the press room we ran at Sapphire. Yeah. 30,000 individual one-on-one meetings over six days, 300 industry analysts in the room. You can't create that virtually. And we know, and we can name the analysts on this call, you know, if you don't fly all the way to Dubai and sit in there in front of them in person, your ranking will suffer. So uh, we can't at scale reach that number of analysts on that many topics or that much of industry journalists on that many topics simply virtually. Now, that is not the only reason to do an event. But Chris and I have worked together at, at following brands, companies that are in the number three or number four position up against some of the biggest players in the industry. And part of what you do at an event is you create an experience in which you help the audience perceive of your brand as something bigger than it really is. And you can't do that on these three little screens. Now, the three little screens have a new and great purpose that the pandemic has forced us to finally embrace. How many years did we talk about video conferencing? Hmm. Now it's real. Um, But for, for fast following brands to create that leadership experience, and for humans, uh, that in-person connection is clearly necessary. It's the mix probably that will change, but I think the conspiracy at some level will raise its ugly head again. So that's an interesting point. It sounds like we, we all agree in some way, shape or form that brands really need this um, notion of in-person events to drive their brand recognition, to um, generate momentum. But what about the customer? What about the attendee? Does the attendee actually need to go to these events? Should they want to go to events? We've all said how there's, you know, incredible amount of travel expense, time out of the office, productivity loss uh, associated with going to these events. Do customers, do our prospects actually need to go? Do they want to go back? Well, yeah. So I'm going to go back to something Bill said for a second and, and say that I actually welcome the conversation with the CFOs. Uh, the, um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some great CFOs and our current uh, CFO asks a lot of the right questions. And I think they're legitimate questions that we should, we should have to press on. You know, are we, is this actually doing what we need it to do? And when they see a world where uh, we're still able to generate revenue, as you said, Steve, um, where you don't have this additional expense, I think it's the right question to ask. And uh, the, you know, are we only doing it because we've always been doing it? And in, in a lot of ways, I think we're only doing a lot of these things because we've, we've always been doing it, which is to your uh, question of what about the attendees? What about our customers, our prospects? What do they kind of, what do they want? What do they expect? Which is what we should be asking, right? Is I think what we've found is that 
there's we've been trained in this way right in our for for all of us our entire career i started off having to man trade show booths i started off with with this sort of all, overall activity so that as a lot of our customers and prospects go to the larger events they're walking around the show floor they know how to they know how to do an event right they yeah. they know exactly they set their schedule. They set up all the different side meetings they're going to have. They know exactly how to do it. When we've transferred that into the virtual world, they're lost. They don't know how to do it. The, a lot of the big events that have just occurred, Microsoft Ignite, uh, VMworld that's happening right now today, the, some of the best companies, and I think Microsoft's event was technologically, it was about as good as you can get, right? And at the same time, it was just really hard to have any of those experiences that people would normally have. Nobody's wandering around anywhere. Um, and you just don't see the informal side uh, that was there. So it's, you know, I think as we go forward, uh, the, the, the questions that we're all having as to whether or not the money comes back and we go back to all of these events, it's gonna be hard for us to justify a lot of it because we're doing a lot of that formal side that we justified those events for now virtually. Yeah, but we're doing it because we're forced to. We don't really have any choice. Hmm. And, and that's a bit of the challenge. But are we shooting ourselves in, in, the, in the foot in the sense that, hey, we've proven that we've been able to do this without those in-person events? I don't, think, so we, why I don't think we've I don't think we've proven it at all. Steve. Tell me that. Tell we me about live, that. I think we live right now in an, artificially, uh, in an artificial environment where the rules are defined by safety. Um, if you take away those rules, mm -hmm. um, then we get to do the creative things as marketers that we've been paid to do. And, and look, I, there is a fundamental human chemistry uh, thing at work here. You know, the, the concept of selling, particularly in the enterprise space, is all about building relationships and building trust. Um, I, I looked at an article yesterday that talked about the value of a handshake, because what a handshake creates in the human brain for all of us is a release of something called oxytocin, and the oxytocin, it creates this feeling of trust and friendship and partnership. And that doesn't happen in a Zoom meeting. It, it, it clearly doesn't. And so I, I think what attendees are looking for, to your point, is those accidental and accidental and what was the, the expression we're using, uh, incidental um, meetups that happen at the very best trade shows where you form a relationship, whether that's with the host or the vendor. In fact, if we talked about it, we would even talk about uh, events we've been to. Um, this was always one of my favorites. Uh, they're not a client of mine and probably won't be after I say this, but every time I went to VMworld, I could always say with a lot of pride, I never met anybody from the host company ever. Couldn't find anyone with a name tag from that company, but I met a lot of great customers and prospects and analysts. And then I would go to a, a Commvault event, full disclosure, we all done some work for Chris's great company, Commvault, and all anyone ever said about that event is Commvault executives from the CEO down to the individual software developers were 100% accessible. That doesn't happen on Zoom either. Mm. Uh, the chance to meet the guy that actually codes the product you're buying is not going to happen uh, electronically. But it, it can, um, and that's that. That's, can, though, that that's what we're. That's what we're seeing, though. I, this is where, 
what we found, and one of the things that we have at Commvault that I think is our hidden, sort of one of our hidden gems is we've got such expertise that's sought after uh, by customers. And if we can create the virtual experiences where people feel like they can have some interaction, that there is a lot more opportunity to expose that expertise to a broader audience. And that, that's the irony of this situation is I just can't over-formalize it, right? I think when you over-formalize it, what you guys are pointing out is it breaks the whole thing, right? Nobody wants to listen to another person drone on. But what they do want is the chance to be able to ask somebody a question and have real interactions. And what I've encouraged my team is, I, I don't care if I have 500 people sign up for a webinar, I'd rather have 12 people having an honest and strong conversation um, with an expert and people who are really looking for a conversation that is the phrase that you've heard us use before with that we got from someone we worked with, which is treat me like I'm your friend. I think there's still this, this yearning for people to get that interaction what we have to do in marketing is not provide just 500 person webinar events. We have to provide those 12 person uh, events and they're not really events then, right? Then they're just conversations. So am I formal? It's so everything's shifted, but I think the one of the opportunities is we've got this great set of knowledge that we can now expose to a larger set of people, but we need to have uh, the right mechanisms to put in place. And then, sorry, I'll drone on one more point, Steve, to your, you know, does the audience actually know how to participate? Like they don't know how to do those events. So you've created something that's a bit new and unique. You need to train people uh, to know how to even engage with you in those circumstances. You're right. I, it, but then it, then it becomes a question of, can you scale that effort in a way that yeah. allows you yeah. to reach all of those stakeholder audiences? And, um, you know, uh, Harvard University just issued a study recently that says that- Oh, it's full of quotes. Did you see I know, that? he's really been doing his prepared. research. I, could send, I, I, I want to be like Bill when I grow up. I took notes and I put it up here on the screen. Um, the Harvard study said that part of the reason business travel and events will return is because we transfer at events something called know-how. And know-how is the collection of everything in our brains um, that only really can be communicated through human interaction. And yeah, and I'm sure Chris, you'll argue that we can do that on this, you know, three inch by three inch box that has your face in it on my computer monitor. Um, but the reality is, is that we're stuck as marketers trying to do this at scale. And I keep going back to this concept of perception management and the number of times the three of us either working together or separately have shifted dramatically the perception of the brands we work for because mm -hmm. what we accomplished at an event changed attitudes about the brands we were responsible for. We did things on stage at scale in front of multiple stakeholder audiences that allowed people to walk away and go, that was not what I expected from that company. Yeah. I personally so don't believe you can create that online. I, there's there's totally a place for online, just like there is for email and phone calls and personal notes. But those dramatic shifts in momentum and perception, particularly among certain stakeholder audiences, are going to be really, really difficult. I had a personal experience, Chris, um, just two weeks ago. That, uh, there's a professional organization that, that I'm a part of. It's an organization of chief communication officers. Their semi-annual conference is tomorrow. That agenda is really not that strong, which is in itself a challenge for the meeting. But the whole reason I was willing to pay $2,000 to go to that event 
is what happened between the sessions. And that yeah. cannot be re replicated uh, in a virtual event. And so they've now lowered the cost of that event to $250. And it's still not an event I want to pay for because the whole reason I went was yeah. to meet people um, on the side. And to me, that's always going to be the gravitational draw that, that will eventually get people back um, to, to in-person events. And, and that's what makes the CFO discussion so interesting, right? Because the when every one of our events, right, we've, we've gotten used to that letter that you pre-write for folks to say, you know, justify this to your boss. And none of it is that kind of stuff, right? It's all the, the, the way you justify it is this, for the most part, the amazing amount of knowledge that you're going to be able to walk away with. It's not the sort of randomness of the interactions that you might have. So, so this is what makes this, I think, such an interesting conversation is that we've exposed the scam, right? Yeah. Like the, the big value was the, was the informality of the interactions that could occur, uh, but it was all wrapped in the formality. Um, so, yeah. so I think that it is it's hard. Not easily it's not easily measured, right? And the, no. we've, we've now become accustomed to, as marketers, being totally data-driven. We'll just show you the facts, the number of leads we've created, the, 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 uh, the amount of positive momentum in press coverage. And yet at the end of the day, one of the problems of the event conspiracy is the very thing that all of us might argue is the greatest value is the toughest to measure. Um, and yet we intuitively understand that it is there. So well, in the news lately is all the golfing that's happening, right? <laughs> the political side so we'll stay away from the political side but we all know how much how much business is done on the golf course and people talk about those it's almost become a, a punchline uh, but there is that's that's all in this same realm right of the informality and when you get people in a certain circumstance uh, that you just feel more of a human connection and right. having this human connection is 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 tough through the screen yeah it is it is tough so, it, you know, it sounds like I hear two levels that, you know, Bill, you're saying that the, on the macro level, the notion of brand, brand building and momentum, very important uh, factor in and supported by in-person events. And then Chris, what I heard you say is that on the micro level, this notion of having great valuable conversations in a, in a small group is super valuable from a virtual perspective. So, so um, and, and that you can actually replace this notion or complement the notion of account-based marketing with uh, this virtual engagement. So it almost sounds like there's, there's two levels and that there's some sort of coexistence that's gonna go on, but we have no idea what that's gonna look like. And, and the, the final question that I had for you is that, okay, we don't know what this is going to look like, but are there particular industries where you see differences in the way this is going to play out? Are certain industries going to stay primarily virtual or be very selective in how they go back to in-person? And are there industries that are going to go all in uh, as, as things get better? You want to start, Phil? I, I think that that's a tough one. Um, because having been lucky enough to work across multiple industries, it, it's clear that events serve almost every industry. And I, certainly I, the three of us collectively probably have a combination of 60 years in the IT space uh, between the three of us. And we know in the IT space, the entire game of sort of standing at the company window and shouting out to the industry, look at what we're doing is at the heart of 
how momentum is created. Often in the IT industry, we're promoting things that aren't even yet really built and matured. And events play into that. It's who's bigger, loudest, has the more announcements, brings more people into the booth, has more speakers, more articles written. And so coming from that 60 years of experience, we understand that those are the competitors that we're playing against. And the, the reputational risks of not being seen as that active are real and pretty well documented, I think, um, to talk about. I think if you get into some of more of the industrial industries where that is less of the game and it's much more of a company reporting news out, um, the virtual and other channels that have really sort of come to the forefront during the pandemic will better serve them. And I think those industry trade shows will sort of die off. The ones that have always been sort of the, the stalwarts of the industry, the, the National Association of Broadcasters show, SAP's Sapphire, those kind of, uh, uh, the consumer uh, show in Las Vegas every spring, those events probably will live on because they serve their own unique purpose simply for being trend setting. Um, but I think in, in away from the IT industry, you'll see a greater impact where events have less of a function now than they might have done in the past. I, I think that's probably true. I don't know if I agree with that last part, uh, Bill. I think that in, in a lot of ways, if you're selling ones and zeros, if it's not our industry, then what industry can go virtual? Uh, but if you go into other industries, you know, certainly if you have any physical kind of product and people are coming to these shows and, you know, the textile industry is, is uh, people want to go in there and be able to touch and feel and see uh, the product. So I think that there's sort of extremes on both ends. Uh, I wonder if the IT industry isn't sort of, if maybe it's a small bell curve, right? But it's, there's the extreme of if I want to go to a conference and I expect to be able to see a physical product. Uh, then those are very likely to come back. And then there's the other extreme of there is no physical product and it's just a show where I'm going to maybe discuss things that are shown on an electronic screen that I can do here. So it's, I, I, I think that there's certainly some that will most definitely come back, uh, but there's probably others and, and maybe others, Steve, that will, uh, they'll go out of business because they're just trade shows that are gonna go out of business. They, they probably don't have a business model that can survive two years of no revenue. So. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to the event uh, complex as some of the money starts to dry up uh, over the next 12 months. Well, we're look, we're, I, I think in the end, um, Steve, we're all humans. We, we crave contact. I know the three of us, since we know each other well enough, if we had the opportunity and this wasn't the pandemic, we would be sitting together to do this. Not because it would be easier to have a podcast. We've demonstrated here today we can do this with technology. But in the end, humans want a relationship with people in business. That is fundamental. It's as old as all the way back to, to the cavemen moving forward. And I don't think that that's going to change. It might take until 2024 or 2023 before we get back to levels that would have, we would have considered normal a year ago. But we're clearly going to get there. If anything, about the event conspiracy, I think Chris would probably agree. The events that were the weakest and of lowest value will fall off the table. Um, and the pandemic has forced them to be exposed for what they were. Um, the companies that understand how to create event experiences like Chris has described, where the value of the content is amazing, the incidental and accidental relationships are real and valuable, will come roaring back simply because people want to be together at the end of the day. 
Gentlemen, this has been an amazing discussion. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll do this again sometime. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. You can continue the conversation online with our guests as always at Bill Wall 61 or at just Powell for Bill Wall and Chris Powell respectively. Thanks so much. If you want to see the full video interview series, you can find this episode and more at LeeTailTV.com. Please make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Have ideas for the show? Do you know someone who would be great to be a guest? Drop us a line at studios at leetail.com. Thanks.